Good morning. My name is Taylor Leonard. I'm JT Beck. I'm Will Gibson. And I'm Ian Saunders. It's August 1st and summer's coming to an end. School's about to start up again. All the kids are going back. Yeah, y'all about to go. Y'all about to head on back to college, right? Yep. Well, I got one more year at Virginia Tech. Will over here has got one more year left at uh, Christopher Newport University. Um, you know, the intern program's coming to an end, but we've enjoyed our time here. We've learned a lot. Ready to carry over what we've learned here. Share some of that knowledge today. Yeah, we're going to share some of that knowledge today. Um, speaking of that, we have some interesting topics to talk about today. Um, you guys want to get started on that? Yeah, so some of y'all might have seen when coming in this morning, if you follow the, uh, the State Street uh, target sector model, that there was a model change this morning. Uh, we had two positions move out. That was KBE and KRE, both uh, banking ETFs there that moved out and XSW software ETF and XHE to healthcare moved in. So an interesting trend there that it took the, until this uh, update for the software sector to go in. Um, and in addition to that, uh, big news that everybody's talking about if you turn on any financial news station is Apple gave mm-hmm. positive earnings up, what, Almost or over 5%? About 5.4%. About 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 to hit a a trillion. Be the first one maybe today? Yeah, it's uh, it's on track to be the first uh, company to be a trillion-dollar company. Um, And following behind that is Amazon. They're they're right behind them. So that's that's very interesting to see, you know. That's, That's... history about to be made and it's it's crazy to see i think it was cnbc earlier that in order for apple to hit the trillion dollar market cap um it has to be somewhere around i think it's somewhere around 203 maybe two or three and some change um so that's definitely something to keep an eye out for um definitely a big milestone in market news and definitely a big milestone for apple as a company keeps going up on that point picker chart yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) As 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 everybody knows, the millennials are all about the uh, the tech stocks these days. Um, Apple being one of those, and and all the other tech names are big uh, big in the news around now. So we thought we'd focus some of uh, the re- the rest of the podcast on a discussion about millennials and how they invest. And um, as you all might be seeing, some some millennial clients now, or, or some of you all are probably millennials yourself that are that are in, looking for clients of the same age group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talked about this a little bit, this topic a little bit uh, on our last week, last week's podcast. And just to give you guys a brief overview, if you haven't, if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, uh, millennials are basically categorized by being born between the years 1980 and 2000. Uh, so the millennial generation has about 87 million uh, people in it, according to the U.S. Census. And now that is the largest generation since the baby boomers, which is, which is crazy. You know that was that was a big milestone, and now the millennials are the new, bigger thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, on top of that, millennials recently became the largest segment of the labor force, with fifty three point five million employed individuals, which is around one third of the total millennial generation. Yep, <laughs> and I think that uh, an important thing to keep in mind, especially for, you know, financial advisors, is. A lot of these people are employed. They, you know, they're making a salary now, and a lot of them are looking to invest and, and get, you know, invest in the markets. And as financial advisors, we y'all have to be, um, you know, you have to understand what they want, what they have to, you know, invest in, what they want to invest in, how to appeal to them 
as you know their financial advisor and planner um, there are a lot of things to keep an eye out for and what they need because they're a lot different from other generations yeah absolutely and you know what well, we're on the younger side of the millennial generation i was born in 1997 i'm sure what guys were, what I was right around 94 right around there yeah yeah right around there so we're, we're on the younger side of the millennial generation um, so this may not be the case for particularly us, but for a majority of the millennial generation, uh, their parents are from the baby boomer generation. And, you know, that this is a big segment of the marketplace that financial advisors cannot ignore. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of money coming into these millennials' pockets from their baby boomer parents in the coming years. So, um, that you know, that's – and also, we're coming up on millennials' prime earn, earning years. So, you know, a lot of these millennials – um, when people hear millennials, they're associating the term with someone who's just out of school, has an incredible amount of student debt, and, you know, is like living in their parents' basement or something. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's not always the case. You know, most, you know, the reality of the diverse group that millennials are is that, you know, the age range includes people that have been working yes. for up, upwards of 15 years. Since um, 1980. Right. I mean, that's a... It's a wide variety of people that you'll be dealing with. Right, and, um, right. Some, some of these people are married with families, and, you know, that there's there's a lot of, you know, millennials that are 30-something years old and uh, that have money in their pockets, and they're not the stereotypical, uh, you know, stereotype that you always hear. So right. th- there's a big, there's big opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Now, I kind of wanted to take a second to focus on, <clears throat> I guess, millennials near our age, you know, and they're lower mid 20s um, because there is you know a bit of a I don't want to say a cliffhanger but there's a big difference between what you know our age wants in a financial advisor maybe what someone born in 1980 1985 yeah. you know what they want um, mm-hmm. so a big thing I guess for you know people in their mid 20s you know they like that freedom and I, I was reading in um, an article how you know keeping that in mind advisors might want to like you know, schedule short meetings with with their potential clients, with their clients, um, whereas, you know, someone older might want, you know, a long, very informational, uh, want every sort of detail. You know, millennials, I don't want to say have a shorter attention span, but, you know, they... That's definitely true. (laughs) Yeah, I would would say that. Yeah, so I think something to keep in mind would be, you know, keep it short and sweet, don't dilly-dally around, and um, you kind of got to get straight to the point because... You know, they might not be listening the whole time. <laughs> and a great point to, to go off from that in those meetings is that that's uh, you can bring up. I mean, millennials are oftentimes, as, as my, my mother will like to tell me, we, we often think that we know everything. <laughs> very well read with the Internet and stuff these days. It's so easy to get information. Um, but a piece of information that a lot of them won't have or don't have the option to have most of the time is, is the, the technical analysis side of securities. And that's yeah, obviously what we focus on here. Um, so kind of bringing that into the picture for them and showing it to them in a way that still, may, I mean, they can Google go on Yahoo Finance and look up all the stuff they want about stocks, but it's not going to show that technical side of the picture most of the time. Um, right. So that could be really valuable to a millennial client who might be com- trying to compete between um compete with another advisor for right and and, you know also comparing uh how millennials are you know younger clients typically and compared to older clients um i think it's important for the millennial generation it's important to the millennial generation that their advisor is transparent with their fee structure Mm -hmm. i think that's something that's really important because um 
you know, that I feel like the millennial generation is very cost sensitive mm -hmm. and they have this negative perception of financial advisors. And, you know, to combat that, you, there just needs to be pricing transparency. And I think that's really important. Um, and also, with that being said, I think, you know, a good idea might be even to, uh, you know, typically financial advisors may not structure their fees in monthly payments, but uh, I that's millennials are used to that. You know, yeah. when you're paying for all these monthly <coughs> subscription services, right. like your Pay music rent services, monthly, rent yeah. monthly, Netflix, you know, your, all your <laughs> streaming services, right. Maybe not everything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but you, so millennials are used to monthly payments. So that's, that's an idea. Uh, just throwing that out there for you guys. You know, I, it's a lot of this is about the psychology behind some of these things and what the younger generations are thinking and what they're used to. And what they're used to is going to be what they're most comfortable with and what they gravitate towards. So, yeah. And I think in general, I don't want to stereotype, but I think millennials might be a little skeptical about what an advisor is doing really because mm -hmm. a lot of millennials don't have that investing, that financial knowledge. So I think transparency is a big thing to keep in mind. As an advisor, you know, you, you need to have your client informed and you, you also have to make sure that he or she knows exactly what's going on. And um, I think transparency is definitely a key to keep in mind. A couple of interesting buzzwords that I think have been passed around in the last recent minutes would be the word competition and the word financial advisors. Um, first of all, competition, the way you think of it is probably not the way competition is gonna look in, in the future. And what I mean by that is robo-advisors um, as you're well aware, are yep. becoming more, more prevalent and really just more advertised on the internet, um, mm -hmm. especially as millennials. We are very tech-savvy and we grew up with technology. Um, I know I barely remember when cell phones weren't a thing. Right, um, <laughs> which is going to be hard to believe so, I, for I some really of these yeah, people listening. Some, yeah, exactly. So, um, so given that, uh, I think it's really difficult for advisors to demonstrate why a millennial needs to come and meet with an in-person representative to manage mm -hmm. their, their money. Mm -hmm. You know, why wouldn't I, for example, I have a lot of trust in technology, maybe too much trust, um, and maybe we can agree on that. Yeah. But given this, like, trust that we've grown up with technology and the rapid growth of it, why wouldn't I trust my life savings of $200 <laughs> to put on it with a robo-advisor who's running al alg algorithms and can analyze more things than a financial advisor could. Right. So, yeah, the, the point... Hour. Yeah, I think the point uh, Will's trying to make there is you, you got to prove that you add more value than said, you know, programs that, that he was mentioning. Um, you know, it's... It's all about, as we mentioned in the last podcast, it's it's how, how easily available it is. That's that's what it's all about these days. Do you have an app that can go on a smartphone? That's huge. Do you have a website? Do you have we do things? have an app. We do <laughs> have an app. We do have an app. But um, so it, th that's what it's about, really. It's about the ease of usability. And then, you know, you got it. That's more competition is coming up um, with these, um, what do you call them? Robo-advisors robo and things like that. So... Um, yeah, that's something to be aware of, and, and you know you got to be able to, you know, acclimate to the environment as it's changing. Consistently staying staying ahead of the curve, and uh, yeah. utilizing the research is a good way good way to go about doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking on that word value, that's another interesting thing to think about. Is value we may perceive as performance? You know, you look at 
is a robo-advisor valuable? Well, in what aspect? It will be valuable. Maybe it can generate the same amount of returns. Maybe it's more efficient. You know, you don't have to go into an office or set up appointments, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, it might be more valuable. Um, mm -hmm. But it's something to really kind of harp on and drive through is that, I mean, wealth management um, is very relational. Um, relationships are extremely important in mm -hmm. every Absolutely. business and most and even financial services um, and can't I think, have a, can't have a relationship even though we try to can't have a relationship <laughs> with a computer sometimes yeah <laughs> exactly and I think that could be an avenue that advisors can really explore and a money manager as a whole saying yeah maybe you can get the same returns if you use a robo advisor or some online simulation but the point of the matter is I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to get to know your family. I'll mm -hmm. sit down with you. Mm -hmm. um, I can really explain what's going on and how your money is being put to work for you. Yeah, Absolutely. I think I think driving that connection is uh, definitely a key point to, you know, like we were saying, explain the value of having, you know, a personal advisor rather than a robo-advisor. You got to tailor your conversations, your relationships to what a millennial would want. Um, and that's something to keep in mind for sure. As far, so, yeah. I was going to add one more thing. As yeah, far as like transparency, uh, don't sugarcoat things too much either. Um, I think as a, as a whole, we can be a little bit skeptical. Um, you know, th fake news and all these, you know, buzzwords that come on. <laughs> things that we hear, uh, we don't take for truth sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it's good to kind of throw in optimistic, you know, you can generate this amount of return per year or like mm -hmm. generate this amount of alpha. Uh, however, at the same time, you know, mention the risk. Mention... Uh, your payment, you know, things of that sort that may be a little touchy at times, um, but that kind of drives home this transparency and builds trust. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, I'm sure we could sit here and talk about this stuff all day, but we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for you guys. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back for you guys next week.